Well, good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or on the internet or in uh, one of the um, uh, venues here at the Long Point campus. We're glad that you're here, too. Um, Let me ask you this. How many of you have at least one New Year's resolution that you have not broken? How How many of you have... At least one, okay, good. I love New Year's, I love, it's kind of a reset, you know, it's kind of cool. Um, Just a, hey, let's start over, we get a mulligan, we get a reset, so we make New Year's resolution. Here's what I discovered about, I did a little research on New Year's resolutions, and that about 62% of you will set some goals, some New Year's resolutions. Some of you guys are hardcore you know, and some of you just, well, I'm just going to throw a few out there. About 38% of you will not, which is okay. Uh, but this was interesting, is the 60% that do are 10 times more likely to achieve their goals. When I read that, I thought, well, if the 38% that don't don't have any goals, then that's probably true. But I don't know how that whole thing works. And then here's an interesting one, is that... In the first week, you break 25% of the resolution. That's why I asked you, you know, here's what, here's what, what's the first resolution? What's the biggest one? I want to get healthy, you know, lose weight, whatever. And so you're driving, and Krispy Kreme has the hot donut sign on you. You're going, that's Jesus. I know that's Jesus. And so you pull in, and there goes that one, you know, whatever. Um, they also said that um, about... of the population, 8% that set the goals, uh, will achieve all of them, okay? There's some overachievers. If you're married to them, they just irritate you. We don't like those kind of people, but we're glad you're here. You need Jesus too. And uh, here's here's the question. Why why do you think that people, uh, why, why do we get, why do we do that? Why do we set goals? Why do we have New Year's resolutions? Why do we do all of that? I think, I think one of the reasons is because we're created for significance, and every one of us really want our lives to matter. Would you agree with that? We want, we want to live a life of significance, and I think that's hardwired within us. I think that's something that the creator made, and so we do things, you know, try to be better, do better, uh, and of course it can be negative, but I think, I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's positive. We want, to, we want to make a difference. And we start out in life with kind of the optimism of, of youth, you know. You're around kids. If you have little ones and, you know, they like baseball or football or ballet or whatever, what, what are they going to be when they grow up the best? They're going to be in the NFL. They're going to be on the, you know, New York Ballet. Whatever it happens to be, they're going to do that, you know, because there's this optimism, you know. Even my kids who are genetically challenged to be like this tall. They're, they're going to be, you know, great basketball players, right? And then I remember in college, you know, you just felt like you had that world by the tail, man. The world is your oyster. And, you know, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make it a different place. And, you know, I love the graduation speeches, you know, all the stuff you're going to do. And it's awesome. Then you go on in life and maybe you hit some bumpy roads or you didn't get the job or there's several jobs or And you have moments along the lines where you say, is this all there is to life? You know? You ever had those moments? Really, this is is it. This is all there is. At first, it's just idle curiosity. 
then kind of it slowly it grows kind of like a disease contaminating all of the other thoughts in your mind. You kind of focus on, am I wasting my life? It's not a bad question, but it can be a debilitating question. If you just kind of, you know, I, I go to work, I come home, I get something to eat, I watch TV till I crash, I wake up the next morning, I push reset, do the same things over again, day in, day out, always the same, putting in time, waiting for something better to happen, it doesn't. You can slowly atrophy into a wasted life. A guy named... Um, Ivan Chan, I have no idea who Ivan Chan is, but I saw a post that he made on, on uh, how to tell if you're wasting your life. I liked it, about eight, eight things. Kind of pull your life upside this, okay? Kind of, is, are you in this? Anyway, good enough becomes the new standard, okay? That's uh, good enough. It's good enough. You know, the Bible talks about contentment, but how do you know there's a difference between contentment and just settling, okay? So you might be wasting your life. Uh, you think work is the only thing that matters. You say different things, but honestly... It's kind of what we do. Relationships are kind of, you know, secondary to work, honestly. You might be wasting your life. Uh, you're always chasing the latest toy, okay? Yeah, anybody there? I kind of relate to that. Remember I told you a few weeks about the iPhone 6? Yeah, I got one. Don't hate. <laughs> don't hate. It's not your, you don't have to judge. That's not who you are, okay? I, I might be wasting my life. Television is your best friend. I didn't write these. Television is your best friend. You know, who's your small group? Well, it's, you know, whoever I'm watching on TV, actually. That's kind of weird. All right, uh, five, you often escape into a fantasy world. You can do this. You know, it can be video gaming. It can be books, whatever. And and, in in themselves, that's not all that bad. But when you use it to kind of, I don't like the life I have, and I kind of escape into that, then I might be wasting my life. Number six, you always have a reason not to take action. Well, there's, there's a reason I can't do that. I can't take the next step there. You might be wasting your life. Number seven, you often find yourself reliving the past. Reliving the past. You're looking at life through the rearview mirror more than, you know, what's out there and what's next. Number eight, you, you let others tell you how to live. If you live long enough, you'll know this truth. God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. How many of you know that? And if you... If you aren't kind of proactive on it, then you could be wasting your life. What, what I hate about this list is that I see myself in several of those from time to time. So, so here's the deal. Look, look at this. Here, here's a statement. Look at this. I love this. A life that could have been but never was is effectively a wasted life. Do you agree with that? A life that could have been but never was is effectively a wasted life. We don't want to be that. We don't want to do that. Here's the good news. Here's the good news is that a life well-lived is simply a series of small choices. It really is. It's usually not a breakthrough. It's not big deals. I've seen this. I've met literally, and I'm not exaggerating. I bet I've met over 100,000 people in the last 10 years. I just watch patterns. Debbie and I watch people. We talk about it. You see it with, we see it with parent with kids. We call them soft choices. Rather than making a hard choice, they make a soft choice. The path of least resistance, and we'll go, oh, gosh, that's a small choice. A series of small choices is going to create a wasted life. And in the same way, financially or any other way, a series of small choices can lead to a life of significance. It can lead to, um, it, it can, it, 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 it can lead to a life 
well lived. Nobody knows what tomorrow's going to bring, none of us do, but you've got choices today, small choices, little choices. Every day you're faced with decisions that can help you build a better tomorrow. Well, we're in a new series. I mentioned first of the year. I love first of the year. This is my favorite series of the year. Uh, obviously yours too. Places packed here in every every venue that we've got because God gives us a reset. And we want to do better. We want to we want to we, we want to make make right right choices. And so at the beginning of the year, we decided let's do a series on I have decided. And rather than like ramp it up for the whole year because only 8% of the population is going to do whatever they said they're going to do today, let's talk about one month. This is going to be a 30-day challenge, this whole series, 30 days, four weeks, one month, four decisions that you can make in this first month that can set the course of this year in your life, really. And let's see if we can nail four things. Today I'm going to talk about one, we'll build on it next week, four things, 30 days, focus, concentrate. In fact, if you can be here every week, great. If you can't, go online, seacoast.org, go online. Let's, let's, let's tune in to, to every week of the series. Four decisions that you can make, I have decided, that will impact, that can shape the course of the new year, that can determine whether this year will be a year of significance or another year of regret. So let's talk about decision number one. Here it is. I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, wow, big surprise, Greg. Amazing you'd put that. That's kind of what they pay you for around here. I have decided to follow Jesus. Some of you are doing this. Some of you are going, I've already made that decision. I'm a Christian. This is not going to be for me. I'll play words with friends during the message. Time out. Time out. I didn't say I've decided to be a Christian. I said I've decided to follow Jesus. And there is a difference. Let me explain it to you. In the world today... They say that there are about 7 billion people. I thought, last night's sermon, I said 6.7 billion. My son said it's 7.1 billion. Evidently, there's a population boom during Christmas. But, because I researched some of this before Christmas. But uh, 7 billion people, 2 billion of those, over 2 billion are Christian, would say I am Christian, almost one-third of the population. Now, not all of those Christians are Christ followers. Christians are not Christ's fault. Now, I'm not making, I'm not judging whether somebody's going to heaven or not. That's not my gig. Okay, that's God's deal. He's the judge. I have no idea who's going, who's not. I'll be, probably be surprised by some of y'all who will be there. You know I mean? I just, so I don't judge that stuff. My whole job is to love everybody. Okay? I love everybody. I don't, I don't do the other deal. But I do know that there's a difference between, I can see this, there's a difference between somebody who says I'm a Christian and somebody who's actually a Christ follower. Let me give you an example. Over the holidays, Debbie and I were talking about a church situation. It wasn't this church, another church. And there was some really, you know, church politics going on. You see it. You know, there's hiding stuff and people saying stuff and it just nuts. Just, just nuts and, and people getting hurt and all this kind of thing. And you see it all the time. And I, I told Deb, I said, I'll be honest with you, if, if that's what church was about, I don't think I'd go. You know, I'm just not sure I would. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it's just kind of where I was. And I, I said, you know, what, you know what the problem with that church and all churches, even our church, is they don't have enough Christ followers. They got a lot of Christians, but they don't have enough Christ followers. Because I think you can be a Christian and not necessarily be a Christ 
follower. Uh, in fact, Jesus predicted that that would be the case in Matthew 13, verse, verses 3 through 9. He gives this illustration of um, it's an agrarian society. So a guy went to Lowe's, he says, and he got some seeds. And he's going to plant some seeds. And he says this guy gets these seeds and he scatters them. Wow, that could be slippery. I didn't think about that. Let's put a few more. Scatters them on hard ground like this, and they didn't germinate, take root. Birds came and ate it because this is actually bird seed. And uh, so this wouldn't grow much anyway. Uh, anyway, but anyway, so then he was planting real seeds, and this is all I could get. Uh, it was a last minute idea. So he said that he planted some other seed in soil that was really pretty good, but it was real uh, shallow. So what happened was. The seeds grew real quickly and shot up, but sun came, other stuff rained, wiped it out. Didn't take root. Planted some other seed in some soil that was great, but it had a lot of weeds in it, and the weeds took all the nutrients, and the seed didn't grow. Then he said there was a fourth kind, and he planted that seed in really fertile ground, and the seeds grew. And he made application. He said it's the word, seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. He said some people's hearts, when the seed gets planted, is really hard, and so the it never grows, never gets there. And some people in church, the seed's planted, man, it's just hungry, wow, this is great, they grow like a weed, but it's real shallow. Here's the challenge, is a lot of times in churches we make those people leaders, okay, too quickly. Make them deacons, elders, leaders, whatever, and then crazy things come and, and they act in crazy ways and everybody gets hurt. So he says, that's not good. And then the other seed is planted, and just there's a bunch of stuff. You know, people are just so preoccupied with work, with recreation, all, all kind of other things, and it just doesn't grow. And then the fourth seed lands in a heart that has really good soil, and it grows, and these people really become Christ's followers. They, they become like Jesus. Now, a couple of observations in that whole thing, and that's this. First observation is, the problem is, where am I? And I'd like to think I'm right here with uh, good, good soil, you know, but on any given day, I probably am any one of the four. Can anybody else relate to that? And my job is to manage my heart in such a way that it's good ground for the seed to come because the gospel will transform. Here's a second thought about it is that I don't know if he meant that proportionately, you know, that there's one quarter, one quarter, one quarter. If it, I, I don't know, but I'm going to assume that. If that's the case, there will only be about 25% in a group at any moment that would really be Christ's follower, that would reflect Jesus. And so, and so what I want to do is, is just point out that there are some Christians who aren't Christ followers, and that's what causes problems in churches and in our lives. Here's what's interesting is there are some Christ followers that aren't Christians. Some Christ followers. You say, how does that work? Well, I was in Israel, and we just did a little blurb on Israel. We're going to take a trip to Israel. I'd love to take everybody with me. I'd love to take the whole church. It is the most life-transforming thing I have ever done in my life. When you read the Bible after you've gone to Israel, it's totally different. It just comes alive. This morning I was reading a passage. I went, I was there. I saw that. This is what that looked like. And it just, it's just incredible. Incredible. If you can come, I'd love for you to come. But I met an a Orthodox Jew in Israel. Great guy. I talked to him for quite a while in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, he told me, he said, you know what? He said, uh, I'm a Christ follower. I said, really? That's kind of, and I thought, well, he's a Messianic Jew. He wasn't. 
He said, I'm not a believer. He said, I I have not come to a point where I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He said, I'm open, but he said, I'm not there. I I don't believe that for a number of reasons. And we could have debated that, but that wasn't the the topic of the conversation. But he said, I'm a Christ follower. I said, well, how does that work? He said, because I believe what Jesus taught and the way of life that he taught. I I read his teachings all the time. I try to follow as much as I can. It's made a difference in my life. But interesting, not a believer, but a Christ follower. And then there are believers that aren't Christ followers. I thought with this guy, there is temporal benefit to being a Christ follower. Even if you're not a believer, your life will be better because Jesus taught a good life. Now, he missed the eternal benefit of being a believer. And so the goal here today, honestly, up front, is that we would be both believers and we would be Christ followers and in that, in, in that way, our, our lives would be significantly better in this month, which would, uh, which would impact the, the year, year, year to come. I know in my own life, I become a Christ follower after I became a believer. I was a believer. I grew up in a church. Uh, I got saved. It was a church that believed you could lose your salvation. So I got saved like, I don't know, 400 times, something like that. <laughs> and... And I remember when it really stuck for me. But it wasn't until a little bit later, until I was in college, that I really became a Christ follower. And what I did, I was challenged. I said, I want to be like Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is an accurate reflection. What is God like? Well, Jesus is an accurate reflection of God. I can't understand an invisible God, but if I can see one. So I began to read the red letters. Went through the Gospels, read the red letters, and said, I'm going to read the red letters, Jesus' words, and I'm going to try to be like him. And it, it, it improved you know, not only just my eternal salvation, but the quality uh, of my life. And so I, I, that, that's what I want us to do. That's kind of where I'm at today is I, I, let's be Christ followers and believers. How do we do that? One more illustration, then I'll get into it. So, so a few months ago, my family was at the beach. Family in the church had a house, let us stay in it for a few days. So I'm out walking on the beach, and I feel this presence. You ever been, walked, didn't see anybody, but there's a presence, somebody, it's like creepy, you almost know. And I turned around, this is what I saw. Got it up on the screen. It, I, I Instagrammed it, because I Instagram everything. If you're not following me on Instagram, you may not go to heaven. I don't know, but I, it'll, your life will be better, if you will. So this is my granddaughter, Addison, and uh, she's, uh, here's what I put, um, I'm walking on the beach with Addison. She yells, hey, Papa, look, I'm walking in your footsteps. Yeah, that's some sea mist right there in my eyes. I was going to cry as I thought. Because here's her feet. You say, if you can see my footprint, that's a boot. What are you doing walking in boots on the beach? That's how I roll. Don't judge. But her... Her little footprint is right there. And I turn around here. This way, it was kind of three thoughts with it. It was number one, it's cool. It's cool. Number two is that I've watched her, and she's walking like this, and I'm thinking, do I look that weird when I walk? Because I'm a little vain on that. And then uh, and number three is, uh, what kind of an example am I? Because she's, I'm, I'm to be walking in Jesus' footprint. He, is, he said he is an exact representation of the Father. You want to know who the Father is? He only does what the Father does. You can watch him walk in his footprints. You can follow Jesus. And am I following Jesus in such a way that my granddaughter can follow me and she can see Jesus and know God? Okay? So how do we, how do we make a decision? How do I decide to follow Jesus? 
I'm going to follow Jesus. What, what do I do? Let me give you three ideas on that, okay? Three ideas. How do I follow Jesus? Number one, study his tendencies. Study his tendencies. What does he do? What is he like? How does he respond in every situation? How can you do what Jesus does if you don't know what Jesus did? Does that make sense? What, how does he, what does he do? And I mean, find out for yourself. It's like, you know, the images we have of Jesus come either from, you know, the pop culture Jesus. You know, some celebrity loves Jesus and whatever, and this is what Jesus is like. He might be like that or he might not be. Or it comes from, you know, a preacher. And, and sometimes the preacher's an angry guy who has father issues, never dealt with him, gets up and takes it out on the congregation. We think that's what Jesus is like. That's what God's like. So we got to learn, who is Jesus? What is he really like? Learn his tendencies. I told you guys uh, a couple of years ago, I was able to do the chapel service for the game for the uh, Indianapolis Colts against the Denver Broncos. Good versus evil. And, um, <laughs> and I did the Colts. Because I'm like Jesus, I didn't come for those that are well, I came for those that are sick. And, uh, and so one of my buddies is a coach at the Colts, so I'm texting him today, good luck and all this stuff. And, uh, and so he showed me inside the offices, where it, it's the team rooms, you know, they have this one big team room, whole team comes in, then they have a bunch of individual team rooms for the defense, the offense, and then for the quarterbacks and for the defensive linemen. All, they all have their own room. And in the room that week, they, in every one of the rooms, they had a whiteboard, whiteboards everywhere. And they, one whiteboard in every room was dedicated to the tendencies of the Broncos. They want to know, and they had on there, they'd studied it all. On first down and two yards to go, or no, you wouldn't have first and two. Uh, whatever. I, I don't know, but it makes a lot of sense. They had every possible scenario. What are their tendencies? What plays do they tend to run? What defenses do they run? All this because they wanted to study their tendencies so that they would know them very, very well. And in this case, it was so they could defeat them. I'm going to challenge you to study Jesus' tendencies. I have a friend, Michael Morris, who's a good friend of mine here. We've been friends for over 20 years, been in ministry together here at Seacoast for over 20 years. And he's one of these guys, he studies your tendencies, great friend to have. We'll go out to eat or, you know, have coffee or whatever. And um, uh, he's a Citadel guy, he's on time, I'm usually a little bit late. And when I get there, he's already got, like, my Diet Coke, my chips, all the things I'm giving up this year, you know, for the New Year's resolution. He's got those because he understands my tendencies. He knows what they are. And so what I want to challenge you, if you're going to follow Jesus, we're making a decision. We're going to be a Christ follower. We've got to know who we're following. What's his tendency? So here's my challenge to you. Here's what I, I love all of us to do this if we can. I know we all won't. In fact, I'm actually believing for about 5,000 people that will join me in a gospel challenge. Here's what it means. It means for the next 30 days, I'm not talking about the whole year, next 30 days that you will read the gospels through. Do what I did when I first got started. Read the red letters. What is, who is Jesus? What does he do? What, what is he like? And here's, here's how you can do it. There are a couple of ways. If, it's, if you're an analog person, you love the feel of a Bible, this is a nice leather one, you've got an analog Bible, you go to the uh, table of contents, find out where Matthew is. Don't laugh. That's just the way you do it. You find Matthew, and there's a couple of ways you can do it. Every day you read three chapters. 
Every day, three chapters. Uh, you can read the first three chapters of Matthew, then the next three, then the next three, then go to, you know, Luke, and then go to uh, Mark, and then go to John. Or you can do, here's a suggestion. You take one of Matthew, Luke, and John, because they really track along together a lot, every day. First day, one, one, one. Second day, two, two, two. And then after you get through all of those, go back and read Mark. Just a lot of different ways to do it. But for 30 days, three chapters a day, you're going to take the gospel challenge. You're going you're gonna, to, and, and here's what you do. You read it, but you don't just read it. Another tool you need is a highlighter, okay? If you can't write in your Bible, go to Walmart, get one you can write in, okay? And get a highlighter, and, and, and you're, you're asking yourself, what are his tendencies? What does he do? What are his tendencies? Who is he? What is he like? And every once in a while, you'll highlight something, okay? You'll highlight a, a tendency. And then maybe a third thing you want to do is get you a notebook. Now, you might want to get one that looks different than this, but whatever. This, uh, the, we sell these. These are good. Um, but get a notebook and then write in there, hey, today, here's what I learned about Jesus. You know, just one or two things. Here's what I learned about Jesus. All right, so that's one way. Another way is to do it uh, uh, with uh, digitally. That's what I do. This is my Bible. Actually, I use my iPhone 6 Plus. And... Um, <laughs> That's just what I use. And I use a program called Uversion, Bible.com. Some friends of mine that started this program a few years ago. It's been downloaded 164 million times. 164 million people use it as their Bible. And you get that, and in there they have Bible reading plans. And here's what I challenge you to do. Just go to the Bible reading plan area, search for the Gospels. You'll find this plan, the Gospels in 30 days, and sign up for the plan. And it'll take you through what you're doing. And here's something else I'm doing is uh, I, it'll allow you to figure out who your friends are on here. You just pick a few friends. And I, I've got two or three small groups that I'm in. And so I friended all the, th- those people, uh, most of them in, in my small groups, and then uh, so that we can kind of see what, what each other's learning. That's something you can do if you want to. And for 30 days, do this. Now, here's what I want to say. Th- this is about getting to know Jesus, not getting through the whole program in 30 days. And so if you, like, Get behind. You know, you've missed six days, and you're on the seventh day. You have 47 chapters you have to read that day. Here's what you're going to think. I hate you, God. I don't even want to know who Jesus is. Okay, don't do that. All right, if you get behind, don't try to catch up. Give yourself a reset and go to wherever you are right there. You, You got that? Here's another thought. If you don't do your reading for the day, don't get this idea, God doesn't like, he loves Pastor Greg more than he loves me because he probably did his reading. No, 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 no. God loves you as much whether you ever read anything. It's not about that. What this is about is getting to know Jesus' tendencies because we're going to want to be Christ followers. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm a, I started a week ago because I want to be ahead of you guys. And <laughs> I want to tell you what it's doing for me. I told, I told my wife the other day, I'm having such a hunger and a love for the Word of God. I can't wait to, to, to do it, you know, that particular day. And you go, well, you're our pastor. Aren't you supposed to be like that all the time? I'm not, okay? I, there are some days I'm just dry as a bone, okay? I hope that doesn't bother you. I'm just like you. But I'm praying that as we do this, that you're just going to have such a hunger for God as you learn to be a Christ follower, okay? So the idea is, what are Jesus' tendencies? It's the first thing we do. Here's the second thing in following Jesus is learn to listen for his voice. 
Learn to listen for his voice. Uh, John 10 and verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's so again, a farming society. One of the best things that ever happened to us is that uh, we spent eight years in northern Illinois in a farming community. I didn't know anything about farms. I grew up in Denver in the city. I had no idea. And um, so I'd go out to farmers' houses all the time, and they'd have all these cows. And they would say, watch this, and they'd call a cow. So they named every cow. I said, those cows don't know their name. Oh, come on. They'd call a cow, and the cow would come in. The cow knew the voice. Now, I'd call a cow, and they'd just look at me like, who are you? You know, you're a city kid. You don't know nothing. And, um, and I'd say, butcher that cow right there. Butcher that cow. <laughs> tithe on the meat. And, you know, we'll, we'll eat. But anyway, so, whatever. So, so those cows knew. Um, you, you know, some of you mamas, you go to the nursery. There'll be 15 crumb crunchers howling at the top of their voice. You'll hear yours. Oh, there's mine. How do you know? I was in the foyer before this service. There's a guy in Tennessee Church who used to be a major league baseball player, pitcher. And he said, I would be out there in the stadium with, you know, 60,000 people screaming, and I could hear my wife. Because why? Because you focus. You learn. It's repetition. You learn. So that's how you learn to hear Jesus. My sheep, he said, know my voice. Now, how can you learn to hear his voice? Honestly, it can be frustrating at times. Especially for guys. I've got a lot of, I love this church. A lot of guys, got a lot of friends. Guys will just tell me, you know, you talk about hearing God. I don't hear God. My wife hears God every five minutes. Why is that? I'll say, because she's a lot better person than you are. Honestly, she is. And she has an ear that's in tune, you know, sometimes more sensitive, whatever. Sometimes it's a little bit harder for guys. You can learn to hear God. Let me tell you how. How does God speak? God speaks through his word, okay? You can be reading Reading the Word of God. In fact, I will guarantee you, you do the, you do the uh, gospel challenge, you'll hear God. Because here's what will happen. You'll have your highlighter, or if it's digitally, you'll have a highlighter there. And you'll highlight a, a verse, and what you'll find is that you're highlighting a different verse than somebody else is highlighting. Why are you? Because that verse stood out to you. It's God speaking to you. He's saying something to you. That's God. Just say, when that happens, just say, thank you, God. Thank you for speaking to me. Okay? Sometimes it's a hunch, a holy hunch. You'll get... Now, it could be bad burritos or it could be God. But there are times that you'll just get a hunch from God. Wow. And just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. God speaks through other people, okay? Um, occasionally, God will speak through me. God, God will speak through somebody that's close to you. They'll say something. One, one of the cool things, when you learn that God can speak through you, then you say, God, speak through me today to other people, and it can be a powerful, powerful thing. And sometimes he speaks through circumstances. God closes doors. God opens doors. Now, caution. Not every open door is God speaking. Any testimonies there? So how do you know? How do you know? you got to cross-check. How do you cross-check? Well, you cross-check, first of all, through his word. If he's saying something to you, it's going to be consistent to what his nature is, what he's already said. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've talked to people over I've heard so many situations. You know, once it's several situations were like this. I'm leaving my wife or I'm leaving my husband because there's somebody else and I, God's showing me that that's my true mate, soulmate, whatever it happens to be. And God's showing you that. Seriously. Where exactly does he say that right here? Okay? You, you know, I heard about a guy that um, he wanted to get a word from God. He had an analog Bible like this and he goes through here like this and he just points. Okay? That's his way of hearing God. He gets a scripture and it's Judas went and hung himself. He thought, that's not the one. So he went, goes like this. And he points again, and it says, 
go and do likewise. You know, how do you know? That's not God. It's in the word, but it's not God. Okay, for you. So kind of check it out. Um, that's why you need other people. You need to confirm it with wise counsel. I have wise people around me. You know, wise people around me. Every decision. I've screwed up enough. I don't want to screw up. I want God's best for me. And if you want God's best, you'll expose your decisions to wise counsel. And, uh, and then peace in your heart. Peace in your heart. You'll get a peace. Don't put the peace first. It's got to be the caboose because you can get peace about anything. I can get peace about a Dorito. Okay, I can if, uh, you know, whatever. That's not necessarily God's peace. And then in listening, you create margin to listen. You've got to create margin. You've got to have time in your daily routine. In fact, I want to challenge you in the next 30 days with this first part. I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Create some margin. Maybe you want to go to bed a little bit earlier so you can get up just a little bit earlier. Or maybe you, you want to... Uh, Take some time at night, turn the TV off a little bit earlier. So you have margin just to hear God. Maybe it's through study of the word. Maybe it's just listening, meditation. There's just all kinds of ways to do that. Sometimes you do it for a periodic season. Like, for instance, our church every year at this time does a 21-day fast. Not everybody does it, but a lot of us do. And, and we fast in order to create margin. We're starting tomorrow, in fact. 21 days fast. I invite you to join me if you want to. Say, what do you fast? Well, you can fast food. How do you do that? I do a Daniel fast. What's a Daniel fast? Google it. I don't have time to tell you. Okay? You can figure that out. You can fast social media sometimes, or you can fast television, or, you know, any of a number of things. It's, all it does is create margin so that you can listen to God, create, uh, knock down the noise. Okay? Uh, we're, we're actually having early morning prayer during uh, the fasting time right here at the Long Point campus, 6 o'clock, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, I didn't even know God was up then, but apparently he is. Six o'clock, and then nine o'clock on Saturday, because apparently God sleeps in just a little bit on Saturday, and we're going to have morning prayer if you want to do that. Okay, how do I follow Jesus? Study his tendencies, listen to his voice. Let me give you one more thing. Act on his word. Act on his word. You, can, you study, you listen, there comes a point, you got to act if you're going to be a Christ follower. James 2 and verse 17 says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You can say, I have faith, but unless you do something, you got to act. At some point, you got to take a step, do the next thing. You say, well, what if I get it wrong? You will. From time to time, you will, especially as you're first learning to listen to God. That's why don't start out with life-altering stuff. Act on the little things so you get a feel for, okay, I'm, I'm hearing God. This is how Jesus responds. I'm trying to walk like Jesus. Um, start with little stuff. I <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. Um, several years ago, a lot of years ago, uh, I was going to a conference flying into Charlotte, I think, from, I don't know, Denver or northern Illinois. And, um, and there was a little Asian lady that was on the plane not very far from me. And she got off in front of me. And I, was, I needed to, you know, get right to where I was going. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look at her. And she looked very confused. We were in the terminal. The Holy Spirit really spoke to me. I had a nudge from the Lord, go help her. And I thought, okay, I'll try to help. So I went over and asked her a question. She couldn't understand me. She couldn't speak English. And I thought, well, God, she doesn't, I can't communicate with her. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, help her. I thought, okay, I'll help. And I had just read in Acts chapter 2 
where the church was gathered in Acts chapter 2, and they were all gathered in one place, they all began to speak in other tongues, and they were actually languages of people that were there. There were Jews from all different areas that heard their languages being spoken by people who didn't know their language, and so they believed in God. And I thought, well, if they can do that, I might as well. So I went over, and I said, God, use me like that, and I just started to babble something. Zero. She looked at me like I was crazier than a loon, which was entirely possible, which you may need to leave this church because occasionally I'm a little crazy, but I'm fun to be around. And so, and so no harm, no foul, right? No harm, no foul. Try stuff. So I went back over here and I thought, that didn't work. What, what can I do? And then I thought, you know what? There's a guy in our church that's a Korean doctor, just started coming not very long ago. I was just over in Korea. Maybe she's Korean. If I say the name of a Korean pastor who's very prominent, maybe she'll... So I went over to her and I said this name and she lit up. Uh, she's Korean, now what I do? Well, I knew this Korean doctor, so I called the Korean doctor back in Illinois and I said, hey, I've got a Korean lady here that's apparently lost in the airport. Could you fix her up? And I put him on the phone. Whole thing worked. She had gotten off at the wrong place. I took her back to the right place. I was the hero. And I blew it, screwed up a couple times, did some stupid stuff. God said to help. I did some dumb stuff, but it's okay. I learned to listen to God. You understand what I'm saying? Take some risks in hearing God's voice and acting uh, on what you believe to be true. Here's some assumptions as you act on God's, God's word. Number one, his will for me is good. Okay? It's good. I had to get through this. You know, I thought... Early on, I thought, if I really want to be a Christ follower, if I, if I abandon myself to God's will, the idea in the church I grew up in is if you do that, what he will do is he will send you to the place you don't want to go. He will send you to Africa. For me, it was Africa because we had missionaries that would come with, and they'd always, we had this big altar, and they would have a snake twice the size of the altar that nearly ate them, that it's the skin of the snake, and Praise Jesus, he didn't, but you need to be called to Africa. I, didn't, I don't like snakes, I don't like bugs, I don't want to go to Africa. And if I follow Jesus, that's right where you're going, buddy. You are going to Africa, you are going to uh, fight a snake. That's what's going to happen. And so, and so I don't want to yield myself, you know, I mean, maybe I should. But that's I, And then I read the Bible, and Jesus said, you know what? If you ask your father for bread, will he give you stones? If you ask him for fish, will he give you a snake? That really resonated with me. I said, no. God loves you. His will for you is good. Look at the next verse. It says, for my, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will. And here it is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So if you say, I'm going to be a Christ, on my decision, I'm going to follow Christ. You need to understand God's will is good. His will for me will be helpful to other people. His will through me for that Korean lady was helpful to her. His will for me will sometimes be contrary to what I think is best for me. Now, you're going to hit this. This is going to be my last deal here. If you become a Christ follower, there's going to come a time where you're going to think, well, this is good, and God's going to go, no, this is my will for you. And you're going to go, that's not good. And, and you got to remember, God's will is always good. But it's, it's going to be different from time to time than what you think. In fact, I want to read a scripture. It's the last scripture. I want you to read it out loud. 
because it's so important in this whole thing of following Jesus. It's found in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. Let's read it out loud together. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's what that means. That means you're going to come up against a situation, and it's, it might deal with you know, who you should date, who you should marry, your sexuality, um, money, um, work. It could be any of a number of th- investments. It could be any of a number of things. And you're going to come up against something, and you're going to think, this is really good, and, and God's word is going to go, this is my way. It's going to be different than yours because his ways are higher and different. And here's what's important. Here's why I'm telling you this. You will run into that, and you'll run into it regularly. Here's, what I, here's, here's why I say this. My last point. If I'm going to act on his word, I've got to decide in advance that I'm going to do it. Or in the moment of decision, I will be led by my emotions, not by God. I've got to make a decision in advance. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to look to your tendencies. I'm going to figure out who Jesus is, what he's like. I want to walk in his footsteps. I'm going to listen to his voice. And then I'm going to act. And when I act, because I know that your ways are different than mine, my answer to you right now is yes. What's the question? My decision is to follow you regardless how it feels. Because if I don't do that, when I get into a situation, his will, my will, I'm going to go with my feelings. My feelings will probably lead me astray. Okay? So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Following Jesus involves study. It involves listening. It involves action. And it begins with a decision. And here's the decision. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to waste this year. I'm not going to waste this month. I'm going to follow Jesus. Some of you need to make a decision today to become a believer, okay? To become a believer. You might be like my friend who said, I'm not a believer, but I am a Christ follower. You may be neither of those. It begins with being a believer of saying, I believe. I believe. I want to be a part of the family. Some of you are already believers. You need to become Christ followers, okay? You need to, we we all kind of slide in and out at times, but you need to say, you know what, right now, today, 2015, I'm going to be a Christ follower. Some of us need to decide to accept the gospel challenge just to know Jesus better. In fact, if if you want to, if you're going to accept the gospel challenge, I'm going to read the gospels in in this month. How many of you will raise your hand and just say that? I, I, I accept that challenge. You're in at the campuses. I accept that challenge. Okay. All right. Um. You need to decide to create margins so you can listen and decide in advance that you're going to act. Let's go to God. God, I thank you for your will. I thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for these people who are here on this first weekend of the year to prioritize you. Thank you for the reset, God, in our lives. Now I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In this place, in every house that we're gathered, God, uh, just, just help us to act on you and to, and, to, uh, and to make the choices that you want us to make today. In your name we pray. Amen.